Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast, the podcast for curious event professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. My name is Miguel Lerch and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Skift Meetings. In this episode titled Facilitating Change, I have the pleasure of speaking with Leanne Hughes, an international consultant, facilitator, trusted advisor and speaker who loves creating unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. We cover a lot of topics around change management. Here are some of the highlights. We talk about the difference between facilitating and training. We talk about how the challenge for facilitators is often connecting to business results. We talk about how engagement is just attention in disguise. We talk about how a great event starts way before it has actually started. And we talk about how if you're the same person before and after an event, then that event has failed. And finally, we talk about the acceleration of change as the biggest business challenge up ahead. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation, and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the Event Manager Podcast on our website, or you can subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast. I am delighted to be joined by Leanne Hughes, who's actually, uh, we're connecting uh, pretty much halfway across the world. I'm in Denmark and you're in Brisbane, Australia, I believe. Yeah, that's it. So that's the, the funny thing about these sessions as well, different time zones, right? So different energy levels. Um, it's great to connect with you. Thank you so much for the invite. Perfect. Well, thank you for, for, for making time to be with us today. I uh, wanted to kind of get a little bit of a, an introduction from you. Um, you know, how did you do, you know, end up doing what you do today? And then talk, talk to us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, well, I do a few different things, but in the context of event, uh, like this podcast and, and events, I um, really started off with my experience just being a avid geek of learning and being at workshops. And I'm the type of participant, I'll always raise my hand, I'll always contribute. Um, and then later on in my career, I was going to workshops and events and thinking, oh, I actually think I know more than the speaker that's presenting. And so I kind of, that gave me the confidence to start leading workshops, which is really about like the event that I really hone in on that, the type of workshop um, and experiences I deliver. I worked for a global mining company and I was sent to Canada to run leadership training. And I arrived, I was jet lagged. I'd never run this program before. I had a lot of imposter syndrome. And there was a guy in the group that just refused to participate in an activity one afternoon. And it really rattled me and I didn't know what to do. And I wasn't looking forward to going back and running the session again the next day because he was going to be there. Uh, I got back to Australia and I rang up every facilitation friend that I knew and I said, what would you have done in this situation? Because I was very new to running workshops. And that then turned into a podcast called First Time Facilitator, where it was all about finding out what makes a really great workshop experience. And I think the real driver for me is that life is so short. And I get so frustrated when we create, like, put all this massive investment of time and energy and resources of bringing people together and, and an event doesn't deliver really cheeses me off. Uh, so yeah, so now I'm a, I'm a, I uh, sort of bring that element of uh, maximizing time to my work as a consultant, uh, facilitation, and also 
uh, as a speaker as well. So you do a number of different things. There's these kind of workshops, you speak, you facilitate. Can you remember what was when was the first time you really understood or realized there was this kind of event industry and there was this, you know, people that were kind of specialized in, in, in kind of putting these things together? Oh, that's a good question. I think it was when I worked for a very controversial company in Australia called Wicked Camper Vans. Um, very controversial. I, you listeners probably haven't heard of them, but we basically all got lawsuits every week. My boss, <laughs> he he created these camper vans which had really controversial quotes spray painted on the back and that attracted the backpack industry. And I was working as a marketing evangelist for this company and I was sent around Australia and New Zealand working at these traveler events. And that's when I realized that this was actually a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Talking to the event organizers, seeing the amount of logistics involved in all of that, then having to present as part of that that also led me to an event in Australia called, uh, it's called the ATE, the Australian Tourism Expo, a huge event run by Tourism Australia. And I was in awe of the way that they delivered that. Like even the, the swag that we got, like we got these incredible suitcases and just meeting leaders from all around the world. So that was kind of um, from a facilitated perspective, just getting insight into that and what made it so great. And I always go to events with that meta lens on why is this so good or why is this not quite right and it's not just the person showing up. It's it's the environment that you create, what you do beforehand. Um, so that was it. That was the first sort of, I guess, yeah, foray into it. I think you're preaching to to, to the choir there in, in a sense. Um, you know, it's like when I think when event professionals go to events, they're always analyzing everything. And it's like you can never, I, I find at least when I go to an event and I see something that maybe is is not so good or I would have done differently, it always like attracts my attention. I'm like, oh, I don't want to see this anymore. I'm going to look away. I'm going to look over there. And I think it's it's like if once you see it, you can't unsee it almost. You right? can't. It can be annoying because you're supposed to settle in and just relax, but it's also good because yeah. you'll take that learning into whatever you design next. Exactly. I'm sure. I'm sure it's the same. I have to ask, Wicked Campers, what kind of quotes were on these campers that were so controversial? Well, gosh, I mean, like they literally were controversial. So one, one was, I'm not racist. I have a color TV. Like that, that's probably a G rated one. They, they got pretty bad. They, he, um, we had one from DHL. So we had a DHL van. It was like yellow and white and it had the phrase days and hours late DHL. (laughs) So they weren't happy with that. So it was like getting all these companies and politicians and then just like, yeah, being quite controversial. That was how his marketing worked though. So we spent no money on advertising. It was pure word of mouth. It was viral. This is back before social media. Um, yeah. And that's how we created buzz. But I had, I had to get out of after a couple of years because then your values are like, oh, I just, I don't know if I resonate yeah. with this. Yeah. There's so much. Yeah. When you're doing it just to get attention, it sort of, uh, it gets a bit, yeah, a bit crazy. Yeah. 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 I mean, I can't, cool. it, yeah, I can't imagine this company existing today in the way that it was back then. <laughs> yeah, it's for sure. <laughs> so let me ask you something we ask a lot of our guests, actually. When you have to explain what you do to uh, somebody that doesn't know the industry, maybe oh. doesn't go to events or some of that, how do you, what do you say? How do you go about it? It's, it depends on actually the person. What's hilarious is in 2019, I actually flew my dad over to India with me. I was running some leadership workshops over in India. And you know, I was telling him about what was going on at the end of every day. Then we got back to Australia and he rings me about three months later and he goes, Leanne, you do things with people, right? It's like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not being very clear in what I do. Um, but it's really about unlocking that potential, whether it's an individual, a team or an organization. Um, and that comes in various modalities, such as consultant, trainer or speaker. But I think 
in the context of events as well. It's unleashing the potential of what can possibly be created when we assemble these, this group of people together. So that, that just that theme of unlocking potential, maximising the opportunities, that just plays out in all the work that I do. doesn't matter what modality um, it is. Okay. And so take, take me through, like, I guess an example, right? I think it's, it's always good to understand. I think mm. the word, I understand what a facilitator is, but even within the realm of facilitation, there's lots of different things, right? You can be sort of a more of a moderator facilitator, kind of just running a conversation on stage or something like that. You can be facilitating yeah. dialogue, difficult dialogues. What kind of thing do you like doing the most? You know, like a company comes to you and says, hey, we want to, I don't know, improve our teamwork or something like that. Is that the kind of question you get? And then how do you, how do you, what's like a really good outcome for you? Something that you can kind of see like, yeah, that, that worked. Yeah, that's it. I think that often the challenge with facilitators is linking it to a business outcome because I think you can sort of with a dotted line say, right, better communication, better collaboration equals better performance, but it's really hard to draw that direct line to it. Um, and that's actually to communicate our value as facilitators. We need to do that. Um, some of the gigs that I get, uh, yeah, companies. So the, my favourite gigs are when people say, oh, look, we want to create a space where people can connect. We want to imp- improve our team performance. A, a gig that I've got coming up is with 100 leaders from around Australia. And this company has actually said, look, Leanne, we just want to connect. Can you create the space for us to connect? And sometimes I hear that and you think, well, <laughs> if I'm to be honest, why don't we just put people in a pub and just run a bar tab, right? Like you can kind of, but obviously I'm kind of like the excuse to do it in a professional way to lead the dialogue. Um, they're after some work, some new ideas on how they can implement implement their strategy. So it's more about getting this pie-in-the-sky strategy and making it more pragmatic on the ground. So that's one example of like an offsite that I'll run using various tools. But you're absolutely right about the World Word Facilitator. I have a Facebook group called The Flip Chart, and I swear at least once a month someone will jump in and say, like, what is the difference between a trainer and a facilitator? And we seem to put it under that tag. So my podcast, First Time Facilitator, actually started out when I was a trainer and I was delivering, trying to make the content more engaging. But as you said, facilitation is actually working a group through a process towards a desired outcome. And the difference in being, I think, a trainer versus a facilitator is a sense of control. And as a newbie facilitator, I was my agenda was honestly down to the minute, like 105 to 106 do this. And it was very tight because I didn't have the confidence. The more you develop in the role, the lazier you can be with a group. You trust your process. You trust the group to come along and you create the dynamic for that to work. So I think there's like, yeah, there's a spectrum of what is under that. Um, I also love, I love emceeing and posting panel events. And I think what frustrates me when I see some some hosts that lead these uh, uh, panel events is that they actually pick speakers that all agree that drives me mad. Like if we want some controversy and yeah, so I could continue on that, on that uh, rant, but um, I'll back to you. <laughs> no, I think that's, that's super interesting. Um, you mentioned this a little bit. I just wanted to pick on it a little bit. Um, the kind of lack of control, you, you said lazy, but I, I'm sure it's not lazy and, you know, just like not doing any work, but is there a sort of giving up of control a little bit that you have to have when you do a facility when you when you're facilitating a group because you're you're sure of the outcomes maybe but you're not really sure how people are going to get there and you want to kind of push them and, and and pull and see if you can kind of help them get there uh is that sort of the crux yeah. of it or what makes it different i think when i accepted that actually control is an illusion when i accepted that because 
what I was trying to do in my role as trainer is was to prepare for any possible outcome that was to hit me. And you cannot do that. Um, and that meant like I was actually, I would over-prepare. I was quite anxious. Um, but this is back in the early days. And I think you're right. And I do use the word lazy facilitation as, as a bit of jest, but what it realizes was initially I thought I had to bring all the energy and I was responsible for all of it. And now I realize, no, I think the participants in the group have to bring that as well. Um, I can't manage it, but I can lead it. I can instigate uh, processes. And then my role as a facilitator is to see how I can handle that in the moment, but also not take all that responsibility on. So being lazy is also, you know, throwing questions back to the group. And you mentioned before, yes, we're there to drive an outcome, but I've been in meetings and workshops where after some conversation, we realized the outcome that we wanted to drive is not the outcome. So then you've got to like, well, there's no, I didn't, that wasn't on the agenda. So then how do we move forward? Right. So it is. How I, do you I'm move actually, forward? I mean, give you an example, yeah. because I think that's a really good, um, a really good kind of case study. Cause if you're kind of like, oh, you, you go through the process or you go through some process and then you realize actually the problem is much deeper or, or there's more to unravel here. How do you yeah. then kind of switch the goalposts and keep people on track for that? Yeah, well, I think you've got to actually say it. You've actually got to call out the elephant in the room and that requires a bit of vulnerability from your end because you were there to think I was, this is where I'd planned. Uh, I always <laughs> that's not my job. That. I'm just going to take you guys over there and I'm going to just, <laughs> yeah, that's like, it. Can right. we just park that? Because we need to go into it. It's it's <laughs> it's one twenty one, and I had that we would <laughs> cannot. Um, I've had a situation where this happened and like uh, there was conflict in this group. And so we so actually rearranged the furniture, right? So um, this was a group of 30 leaders that had met. At, initially, they were in um, just sitting around uh, tables. And then we realized that we had to have a deeper conversation. So what I did was I actually got rid of the tables and just got the chairs and we sat campfire style. And then I set the context. Look, I said, as a group, we've gotten to a stage where this needs to be addressed. Um, I'm going to initiate some questions. We'll have small group discussion and we'll share back. And even just changing that environment and having like, you know, that campfire type style created an environment where we were going to move to a deeper way of sharing. Um, but by the way, like I was like panicking in the moment, like, what do I do? What do I do? And sometimes it's buying yourself space to make that decision. Sometimes it is just throwing it to the group and going, what are solutions? Like, where do you want to go with the time that we have here? Um, but I think it's very context dependent on what you've observed through the day. And this role as facilitator, it is, it's very draining because you're constantly looking for cues and signals and trying to read the dynamics of what's going on and making the best assessment on that. Brilliant. Well, thanks for sharing that. I think there's some good tips there. Not that, I, that I'm trying to train anybody to be facilitators with the podcast, but I think it's really interesting. I'm, I'm interested in this topic and I think a lot of event planners will, will, will be interested as well. I noticed on your website, you have, I partner with you to create workplace mojo that drives individual team and company performance. How did you get to this tagline? I mean, I'm sure you, I'm sure you owned an ad and, you know, went oh, in all yeah, sorts that- of different directions. So that's absolutely a, ter- a temporary tagline that has been on my website for longer than it should have been. <laughs> I just, someone said to me, um, they they brought they said to me, oh, you create workplace mojo. And I kind of liked it. So I, I just threw it on my website. So my approach with anything in life, particularly because we live in a di- digital world, world, is that I like something, but I can change it. I'm not really wedded to anything really. And I think that actually helps as a facilitator and being in events is that you actually have to be pretty agile. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I liked it at the time now that I hear it played back now that you're saying to me, I'm like, oh, I wish you hadn't been on my website, but, 
But it's, it's, it still attracts the right type of client. And um, if you do look at my website, I'm not very specific with who it is, but the clients that I work with that attract and we do some great work together are the ones that are up for, you know, phrases like that that aren't conventional. And that's who I want to attract as opposed to the black and white type of companies. It sounds like you don't want to attract somebody that expects to see the, the full program down to the minute, right? Well, um, that is a, actually, that's something that I would do again, as a newbie facilitator and business owner, is that I felt that I had to give clients all of that. But now I've developed a bit more sort of self-worth and nous, and I'll push back on that. And it's not a case of saying, trust me, but it's, look, look I've got this process. We'll work it through. Um, obviously different when you're an event manager because you need to share those details with the client. But as a facilitator, I think, I don't think we should give everything away up front. Yeah, that makes that makes lots of sense. And I also picked up unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. You're yeah. really playing on the. I like that. I like that. I'll keep that one. <laughs> <laughs> you, you like the way that sounds. That you, you still like, like it, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of un- unpacking that, you're you're kind of saying, I don't know where we have to go, but I but I want to assure you that we'll 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 get to a result at the end of that. That's kind of what I'm. We'll get to a predictable that. result. Yeah. Where it came up was. Uh, a question I get a lot, and particularly now with the virtual work, is like, how do I increase engagement? And what I think engagement is, is attention in disguise. I mean, we all know that. And then I think, then I ask a bit further, how do you get attention? And what you do is you, you do things that people aren't expecting. So as a participant, what frustrated me the most was going to a workshop, going in there, sitting down, the host would tell me all about themselves. They'd go through the agenda and housekeeping. And I was like, this is so predictable, mundane, and boring, right? So I will map that and go, what can I do that's different? So I don't start with housekeeping. I never intro myself at the beginning. I won't even present from the start, from the front of the room. Like I'll actually start the workshop before it started. Um, I'll do things to, to mix it up. So they're like, oh, wow, this actually will be a different experience because the brand of workshops and meetings is so poor. People aren't excited to come to these events, right? So the And actually, that's a good thing for us if you actually are willing to challenge the way that things are done. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think of what is actually in the structure of, of any type of event. I think where are some pieces where I can play with that and do something a little bit unpredictable to get the attention? That sounds like a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. Because uh, you keep everybody on their toes, right? If, if, they're, if, they're, if they don't know what's going to happen next, then they have to pay attention. Yeah, and yeah. obviously you don't want to push it so far that they're not, they don't feel psychologically safe. So you've got to, like, there's some rules you play within, there's some rules you, it's, 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 it is fun. It's very fun to design. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. I wanted to ask you sort of a more event-related question. Uh, you, you've, you've been to a lot of events, you speak at events, you facilitate at events, all these kind of things. Um, and I think everybody who's listening believes that events can be life-changing experiences, right? But how do you go, in your mind, what, what are really like the, the core things that make an event go from a good event or an average event to, to a really great event. You know, those things that actually make an event truly memorable. Do you have any particular kind of, uh, I guess, notions of, of what an event has to do to kind of get there? 
Uh, I mean, I, I feel like every guest will have said this, but absolutely the connection piece. Has every guest said that to you? It's not an uncommon answer, but <laughs> tell me what you feel. Like, I think what's, so for, for, for event professionals, I think it's important. Yeah, we all want to connect people, but how do you know when you've achieved that or what does it really mean mm. to connect people, right? Because yeah. like you said, let's open up a bar tab. As long as there's free drinks, people will connect, right? And I think sometimes I remember being actually challenged by a facilitator uh, in a really interesting way. So I was kind of making the point that events are great because you have these sort of like after hour bar things and then you chat and it's loads of fun. And 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 she kind of went, well, wait, I think we need to design events that do that without the bar because, yeah. you know, some people are able-bodied and drink alcohol and like that and feel comfortable in those situations. Some don't. And you want to try to include all those people and connect with as many people as, as you can. Like, how do you, what's, what's like, what's a sign of an event that's really doing that well for you? Yeah. I think it's when you're, it's like a referee in football, right? So you, you don't notice the referee when they're doing a good, good job. It's only when you see them and they're visible that you like, they're standing up because they're not doing a good job. So I think with any type of event that I run, it is how do I make myself invisible so the group is like leading this and the, the, the dynamic is there. When I think of any type of memorable event, um, well, I you know the extreme one would be like the Tony Robbins walking on hot coals, like that kind of that that kind of ritual and moment. But I also think of like this like the people that I met through there and, and how we've stayed in contact over that time. But also I have a Spotify playlist. So following Tony Robbins' event, um, and it, you know you can love or. Like, He's okay. He's okay. His event was was epic. But the anchoring of messages, if you're talking about creating like a lasting change after an event, it's how do you anchor and prime in these messages so that they continue? So after Tony Robbins, I remember there was a Black Eyed Peas song that played on my Spotify recently and it put me straight back into that Tony Robbins event and that feeling I had. So I think if you want to be smart about an event, it's like how do you create those anchor moments to prime people after it's over? In terms of the connection piece, I mean, the ultimate book on this, The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker, I'm again sure this isn't the first time it's been mentioned. The key thing in that that I remember is that the event has started before it's even started. And I use that a hell of a lot when I design my sessions. So what I try and do is I try to get to build momentum, excitement before people have even walked in. Where I think events fail is where they design it where, oh yeah, it kicks off at 9am. So we're kicking off at 9am. But there's so much you can do to create rapport, create community, um, build excitement and energy before people have, have even arrived um, at your event. So some examples are even for my, the things that I deliver at a small scale would be, you know, creating a video, having a quick survey prompt. Something I'm doing for an upcoming session is um, because you mentioned like the in, there's introverts, but people like this, this group that I'm working with, they've got developers and engineers. So we're just creating these puzzles. We've got these trestle tables and we'll have just puzzles people can do before the event has started. So it gives them a prompt to talk to each other, um, something quite tangible. Um, in terms of events where I've been, I'm trying to think of something that's been epic. So the Gallup Clifton Strengths Conference in Omaha, what they did really well is that everyone is there because we have a love for the strengths tool. Have you heard of the Gallup Strengths tool? No, if you can no. expand on that slightly, it'd be good. Yeah. yeah, sure. So it's basically one of those sort of fun tools that HR likes to use where you, you do an assessment, it tells you what your top strengths are and that you have top five. And obviously everyone attracted to go to that event is obsessed with this tool. So we all get name tags with our top five strengths on them. What that means is it pretty much gives you a conversation 
prompt to just go up to anyone within that event and talk to them about their strengths. So what I call that is reducing the friction of engagement. So I guess that is like that's a design feature. How do you reduce the friction so people are willing to then talk to each other? Yeah, I think that's that makes a lot of sense because you you have a group that already knows they're connected in some sense, and then there's a conversation start to say, "Oh, I see your top five. I bet some of yeah. those conversations are super awkward. Like, oh, yours are completely opposite to mine. They mm, are that's the, interesting. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's one called Woo, uh, a strength called Woo, which is winning over others, and that's like the people that enjoy talking to people on aircraft, aircraft, train, strangers. So that for me is like at my bottom, like the bottom of my list. But if you see someone with Will at the top, you're like, they're up totally up for a chat at any time. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Woo. Great stuff. Um, you're also organizing an event or you have organized a few events, the Beyond Bureaucracy event. Is that uh, in-person, virtual? Is it both? How is that planning? Yeah, out? well, we're hoping it's going to be in-person, but we've, we've moved it to virtual. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, so that's, I've done a few events actually recently in the last couple of years where I've collaborated with someone that I've never even met before on an event. So a couple of years ago, my friend Yuri, the magic source, he's in Singapore. We collaborated and designed a program, uh, a virtual program just through using WhatsApp. We've never met before. Same with Brendan, who I'm collaborating with this on. Um, yeah. Did you want me to talk about that? or Yeah. Just yet? curious about the title Beyond Bureaucracy. Is that a topic that you work through a lot in your workshops is that like a central theme and that's why you're you're heading in that direction yeah it's really a sense about um when i think about facilitation what we're really in is the business of change so i don't think there's a point of hosting anything if there is no change as a result of your intervention same with events this is why i get frustrated with events is because if you're the same person you were before an event that you are after i don't i think the event has failed there needs to be a point um for having a live uh, event. So um, that is all about change. So Beyond Bureaucracy is about change, really. And what I've noticed in organizations is whenever any type of change is released, they just create more paperwork, more bureaucracy, more reporting lines, more hierarchy. Um, and there's no surprise why the change isn't well received. So Beyond Bureaucracy is like, how can you create change in the simplest way possible? Uh, yeah, that was the premise of it. And when you say create change, is that... Um like change in the mindset of your team, change in like processes? Does it have a, a limit or do you, do you kind of define it in any way? Yeah, I think it doesn't have a limit because it's really the same way of thinking around it, but it could relate to every structure. It could relate to adoption of a new software tool. Um, it could relate to a new leader that's joined a team, different dynamics. So the process and will, will still apply across all of those. Yeah, Fascinating. Yeah, we'll, we'll make sure to put that in the, in the show notes. Cool. <laughs> be important. So you you've run two podcasts or maybe more, but I, but I, I found two. Um, first time facilitator, you've mentioned quite a bit already. You did two hundred and six episodes of that, which is very impressive. I think uh, that's a, a labor of love. I am sure. And now you have a new podcast, Work and Live Large. Um, mm. Why? Well, first of all. Why the love for podcasts? And I guess, why did you move on to another podcast? Because I noticed, you know, on the page for your first podcast, now you sort of advertise your second podcast. Are you yeah. are you sort of shifting your focus in a sense? Yeah, I, I think I am. I'm growing up with the show. And I think that's what people have loved about the show since it started is I'm very transparent with where I am. So it began, like I said, from that instance in Canada. And if you listen to early episodes, I really don't have a clue 
about facilitation, like at all. And then 100 episodes in, it's like, wow, I've actually got all this international workshop experience. Now I've quit my job. I think around episode 60, I quit my job. And then it's all about how I've built up a facilitation business, right? So people love the show because they they listen to early days and they go, wow. And I'm a, I was at a pivot point where I'm like, I'm, I'm actually no longer a first-time facilitator. I was talking to podcast guests and I wasn't really hearing anything new. Plus, I see what I do is more as broader than facilitation. Um, but work and live large, that again is a placeholder name. I just, I went, I randomly booked a trip to Las Vegas in February. I booked it on Wednesday and I traveled on Monday. I flew to Vegas to go to an event over there that was held by my business coach, Alan Weiss. Um, I met him on my podcast, first time facilitator, and we just connected over Zoom and I just wanted to be in person. So I, I did that. I had such a it was such a watershed moment for me going to Vegas. When I got back, I just wanted to start podcasting again. I love it because, um, well, probably the same reasons that motivate you, just connecting with cool people, having great conversations, learning as you go, using dialogue to uh, refine ideas. Um, but, I mean, I pretty much built my brand off the back of that first podcast. So it's been uh, tremendous. Plus, I'm just a huge podcast geek. I listen to so many. <laughs> Um, and I've, I've managed to, yeah, meet some, I don't know, Pat Flynn, I don't know if you've heard of him, Jordan Harbinger. Um, yeah, I, I actually emceed an event where they were speaking in Brisbane and got to hang out at a speaker's retreat with them for three days. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's just been the best thing. That sounds really interesting. I mean, it, it sounds very much like you're, um, you're called building in public, right? You're, you're sort of very open yeah. about your your journey. And I think people are attracted to that. And it, it, it's easy to kind of relate to that. And it sounds really interesting. This makes me want to kind of go and listen to the different phases of the first time facilitator podcast and kind of uh, understand the journey. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because like, the term that I'm using, I'm writing a book proposal at the moment uh, is called work in public and exactly it. Because I think too often people, leaders come to me and they go, oh, we need to get some buy-in. And I just think if you're trying to get buy-in, you're too late. You need to get pre-orders. And how do you do that? You share the journey. You share your vulnerability. Yeah. And that's how it gets more powerful. And often the best episodes on that show have been where listeners have written in about questions or I'm working on something that I haven't quite figured out. So I share it on the show and people love it. Like, cause you think if it, and it's really like if N equals one, like I'm the subject, I'm sure someone else will relate to it if you've narrowed down the audience enough. Really interesting. And so work, live, work and live large. Um, it says, it says you, what is it? Tune in for upbeat, pragmatic conversations that leave you feeling inspired and wanting to do the thing. Encourage yeah. you to dream bigger. Um, I noticed that it doesn't seem, at least at first sight, to, to have a, a, a kind of a, a steady concept. Like not all the episodes are an hour long. There's some that are 14 minutes long. Some that, is that just kind of the flow and you're it's almost daily right you're doing quite a number of episodes quite quite quickly right it, it so it was initially yeah um <laughs> back to the strengths tool my number one is ideation right and what it what it is is people um don't share your process because people don't understand it. <laughs> so when I talk about it, my really I'm I'm linked to activator as well. So I will just jump in and create and I think that is actually a superpower because there's so many people that I work with in my booked out facilitated course, you know, just my peers, they all want to do things, but they just hold themselves back. Like we literally just hold ourselves back and overthink. So you are asking me about my cadence and I haven't figured it out. I honestly haven't. When I feel compelled, I'll post something. I'll get some interviews in the bag. Um, I've got this two by Tuesday thing, which is all about answering a question using a two by two matrix. I'm only doing that because I want to develop my skill of 
visualizing content, right? So something I learned in Vegas from Alan Weiss, he is a prolific publisher. He's published over 60 books. He writes like 15 different email newsletters a week. He's just amazing. And he just says, I write for myself. And so the difference with this podcast and first time facilitate is actually I'm just using it as a medium to explore ideas and ways of thinking. And I'm not mm-hmm. creating more rules for myself on how I do that. So who knows? It might go to daily. It might be once a month. We don't know. Let's watch this Let's space. Plus. No, I yeah. love your, your honesty and approach to it. It's very much like I'm just doing it. And if you want to listen, great. Then if, if you don't, then, it, then it's not for you. Um, yeah. I think is, is there, you know, that, that seems to be a sort of philosophy that comes through in, a lot of your work is there um would you say that you know we need more of that in the world like it feels like of course i'll say that yeah of course. <laughs> yeah but, I, think- I mean as someone who I, it sounds like you've studied this and you've analyzed this and, and it's something that you're very conscious of um could you maybe just explain how you see the benefits of this working out because i think like you said a lot of people hold themselves back and feel like there has mm-hmm. to be a structure and a, a design and all these kind of things and it sounds like you're kind of saying no, you, you should just go and do it and figure it out as you're doing it, right? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it comes back to that point around control is an illusion. We actually have no idea what the future will hold. I had a chat to a guy yesterday in Sydney. I flew down, for, I fly everywhere for, for these events. I just love them. So um, I flew down to Sydney for an event run by one of my favorite authors. And I was talking to a guy there and he wants to start a podcast. He said, oh, but I've got to make sure everything's perfect. Like the audio is good. And I said to him, look, you've just got to start. Like I said, my first 20 episodes were terrible. I cannot listen to myself. However, how did I get better? It was through the process of doing it. Now, in saying that, you've got to reflect as well. You can't just keep doing things and not reflecting on what you're learning or taking experiences into the future um, and getting feedback along the way. But you cannot will yourself to being a great presenter or podcaster by just thinking and planning. Um, It is all about the action. So I think for me, I use the process of um, of creating as a way to build my brand, as a way to get to improve. And even on LinkedIn, like probably the most engaged posts that I, I put up or uh, where I'm sharing behind the scenes, like this is how I plan my workshop. This is how, this is my, yeah, people are so curious and geek out on that stuff. So, but yeah, it takes a bit of vulnerability to do that because you've got no idea where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I, I, I share the same uh, view and I have to admit, I'm probably not uh, quite as tuned into doing this in this way as, as you are, as you are. And I think it's something I, I could definitely learn, but I, I find the same thing, social media posts, anything that I can share behind the scenes, anything that I have some vulnerability or just say like, Hey, this is how we make this, or this is, this is what happens. They tend to be really popular and, and you can see why, right? People are curious. People want to see how, how you get to those results and, and anything that you can share, I think is, is always really fun. Yeah. I mean, even to the point of my handwriting is really bad, but I'm doing this whole visual mapping and I, you know, I'm not really there to improve my handwriting. It's like, I'm not going to let it get be an obstacle though. And people pay it out, but they're still watching it and and they're they're reaching out to me and it's not polished. Right. So it works. Yeah. There's some attraction to that. I mean, there's some theories in the social media space that with the pandemic, there's this sort of like what desire to have more raw content rather than the hyper-produced sort of videos and that kind of things. So uh, maybe that's, maybe that'll play in our favor and we can just kind of get down to basics, get stick, stick with the message rather than get the, the full production yeah. to actually get the message across. Yeah, that's it. No, good tip. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of go big picture now a little bit. I think we've been talking quite, quite detailed. Of course, also these, you know, facilitation, everything always help with the big picture. Um, 
you know, we've, we're hopefully kind of leaving the pandemic. I always say hopefully because I never want to say like we're clear and it's all good now and things, but you know, we're traveling events are happening. Um, thinking about kind of big business challenges that you see up ahead, you know, obviously the recovery and, and, and all these things are, are, um, are still in process and we don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but mm-hmm. are you seeing any big business challenges up ahead that are kind of different to what you were seeing before? I think it's just the acceleration of change and having to be flexible to what is ahead. And as a result, like I've thrown out all the strategic tools that I was using pre-pandemic, I'm not even using now. So I'm at, like the SWOT analysis, I was actually going to do a bit of a rant about what that is because it's quite static. It's assuming that, okay, this is the external environment. We'll plan it today. But what I've noticed with a lot of businesses is they'll put out a, str- a strategy and within a week things have changed and it it is no longer relevant. Um, so I've, I use an approach called sentient strategy. And I think that's working with clients on how do you anticipate and be aware of what's happening in the environment and then use that to uh, think about the consciousness of your actions. So just remember that we're all part of a, a broader system and how can you constantly be looking out and using that framework as a tool to guide your people through making the right decision in the moment, depending on what's actually happening in the environment. And I think that's really the only way, like anything that's static, even you know, if you think about the way that org charts work and the hierarchy and structure, I see it moving towards something maybe a bit bit looser. The fact that we've got this whole um, new wave of hybrid teams and managing leaders managing teams that they've never even seen before. This stuff is just it, it's going to be more common. It is already now, but I, I don't think we're moving back to office based work, even though a lot of companies are trying to drive that. Um, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a perfect example of that. I've been working at EventMB for a year and two months, something like that. And recently I met uh, my the rest of the company for the first time after working for a year online. And it was this very kind of surreal moment of, okay, this is, this is a bit more, it became, everything became a bit more tangible, I think, and a bit more real when you actually kind of meet everybody face to face. How was that? Can I ask? Because I'm running, the event that I'm running very soon is that's the situation. So tell me, like, how did it feel? It was it was good. It was it was really kind of positive. Obviously, you know that human connection is very different in person than it is online. Um, I'm a big believer of you can do a lot of things online, but I think when you meet face to face, you there's there's those social moments, those connections, like the way people react to each other in private. Like you don't see that when you're meeting on Zoom. Like if you have a whole team call, everybody's behaving as if they're in a conference room on a whole team call. So to understand the the little nuances and little relationships between different people and how they interact with each other and how their body language is, that's super important. And things kind of click into place and you start to kind of make sense and go, ah, okay, I get that dynamic there now a bit. Um, But yeah, I think that sort of social interaction, not the what you say, but how you say it and and how you stand and how you're interacting with people, that connects the dots. And I just felt so much more integrated into the company and much more part of a bigger team after, after coming from that experience. Um, wow. sounds kind of obvious, but it's one of those things, like once you live it, you kind of go, ah, oh, okay, that, that was a little different. It's so cool. I was, uh, I met a friend, a virtual friend at his book launch the other day. And it's like, there's going to be a word between like, cause I was very familiar with Shane for, through uh, our conversations on zoom, but then you meet them in person. There's like, there's like this, you, you're not familiar, you're familiar, but you're not unfamiliar, but there's something in between. Like, as mm. you said, there's just that nuance to being in person. It's very cool to hear that. 
Yeah, it, it's funny because I, I've uh, I've been a big fan of social media and events for for a long time, and and there were a number of times way before the pandemic where I'd meet people that I knew through Twitter, and and, and sometimes it's sort of like, oh, you're that, you know, you'd sort of say their handle name or something on Twitter, and 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 there was a connection. You know, it's not like oh, we met on Twitter but we're strangers. No, there was definitely a connection. It's still different, but you you knew each other, or at least you knew the you know the the, the external personality. So yeah. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I, I don't really I can't put my finger on what exactly is different, but the in-person connection is definitely a, a sort of a different beast in some ways. Mm. Be interesting with the, the whole metaverse, because that's all about being a handle and not who you really are. So that's that's interesting. Or being an avatar, right? Like creating your own visual entity and then how does that play out? Yeah. And then how, yeah. Fascinating. How do you see that the, the whole avatar thing? I mean, that's a big question for us. You know, Event MB, we talk a lot about the innovation and event technology. Um, there are several companies in this space that are building, you know, meat in the virtual world, several ones that call themselves a metaverse company already. I don't know if I would agree with that, but, you know, uh, how do you think that's going to play out in terms of, you know, wearing a headset yeah. and, and kind of connecting with people? Well, I don't really, I mean, I haven't really looked at, at it from that angle. What I'm, I'm interested in, uh, my friend is into V friends. He's going to V conference. So, so what Gary V has done there is actually yeah, made it back to in person. But you've got these this whole metaverse thing happening. I'm more curious around the community building around what's happening in the metaverse and only communicating via audio as well. Like if you jump into Discord, it's audio only conversations which are behind the avatar. So you think of I mean that that I find really fascinating with the ability to be actually someone different in another world. Ah, I, I really, I, for me, I don't even really know what to think about it just yet without actually having experienced it. I imagine it will take off like esports is taking off and the way that we're moving with technology. And, but um, for me, I'm, I, I always go into discord and just go like, wow, like you look at the communities that are thriving, like what are the, what are the hosts actually doing in there? What are the admins doing versus the ones that aren't thriving? And again, it's back to commonality, driving for a purpose. Um, and everyone's saying, obviously, community and Web 3.0, it's all built off the back of that. Absolutely. So what if somebody said, hey, we're doing a, an event in the metaverse and we need you to facilitate it? What Hell would you yeah. say to that? Of <laughs> <laughs> well, you know me. I mean, that's it. I'll, I'll say yes. And I, if I can make it up and learn how to do it, I'd, I'd absolutely do it. Well, that would be the best. <laughs> I just so have to think, like, what would my avatar look like? That would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, Want to wrap up there? This has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I think we, we're, we're ending on quite an interesting note of kind of seeing the future and events. And hopefully, we'll you know see you facilitating or, or moderating or speaking at at some virtual and uh, metaverse events. Uh, but I wanted to get your recommendation for somebody else who we should have on the podcast. I wanted to just um, connect the dots as well. Um, you were recommended by Uri Holub, who was one of our first few guests. I think it was episode five or six. So it was really nice to now connect the dots and, and meet you and have you on the podcast. But can you help us find somebody else who's interesting and, and, and would be a good guest? I think, uh, thanks, and thanks, Uri. Shout out to Uri. He's, he's a champion. Uh, I think Tim Ferguson, he lives in Switzerland. He runs a company called um, Audience. And he's, yeah, we connected through my podcast, First Time Facilitator. He's just such an active person, great ideas, Canadian, so he's a lovely guy. Like all just things that I admire in, in someone. So I think he'd be a great guest for your show. Perfect. And let me ask you a further question. Hmm. What would be a good question to ask Tim on the guest as a guest? 
Ah, a good question to ask Tim. Like, are there any um, stories that you know that it would be fun to kind of? I get think it's more about just his his ability just to be ever optimistic, and it seems like he's a busy guy, but he always has time for people. And I think because the events industry, like you, you're constantly thinking ahead and anticipating. Something about Tim, though, he's just very grounded and measured in how he shows up. So I'm curious how he manages the dynamics of a crazy events world and managing multiple clients around the world versus just always being super cool, patient and measured. Sounds like an excellent quality to have. I'm sure. I'm sure he's developed yeah, it too. <laughs> I, wish I, had, I wish I had that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you've made time to be with us today. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast and we look forward to following your, your podcast and all the other great things that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Thanks for a wonderful interview. It's been great chatting. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Event Manager Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. For the latest news and the best articles on technology and innovation in the event industry, head over to eventmb.com.